You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can always email us, and we'll try to answer as many questions as possible at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. Well, you know, it's Michigan. You walk outside. The weather has changed. On Sunday, we had a great uh, project in town. It's called Fall Fix-Up with the JFS. And uh, there's groups of people running around raking leaves for, for people that are homebound or senior citizens. And we always take a class from Yeshiva Stachy Torah. And it was a big class, so we split it up into three groups. We went raking. And it was great weather. I mean, we're wearing coats and gloves, but must have been in the 40s. It was great. And we raked, and they gave us blowers this year and bagged the leaves. It was, it was really beautiful. The, the boys enjoy it. It's a good way of getting out there, and you come into people's houses. and they, Even though someone, I guess, sets up the paperwork, we knock on the door, and we say, Hello, we're here uh, from Yeshiva Stachy Torah. We're with JFS. We're, we're going to be raking your leaves. And... They do know who I am. They don't know who I am. They have no idea what I'm talking about. But they are, they're all happy to let a group of happy boys go rake their lawns. And am I supposed to give you charity? I said, no, you're not supposed to give us charity. And sometimes they come out with hot cocoa or I think somebody gave the kids cotton candy. I, I have no idea. Different groups. I did my group. Somehow I took most of the leaf bags in my car, van, so I got a call from another group. So when we finished, we ran over with bags. Kids bagged even more stuff. And that was all perfect timing for Monday's snowstorm. Unbelievable. We are not even in the middle of November. And I don't know how many inches we got. Eight inches, nine inches, six inches. Who knows? Lots of snow. My children were very happy. I was not so happy. This was heavy snow. You, you push your... You shovel, you go three feet, and it's already piled up. You can't lift this stuff. Well, maybe you could. For me, it gets a little bit heavy. You have to be careful. You know, they warn people when you go out there shoveling if you're not used to that kind of uh, exercise. It did not help us get a day off school because it started, I don't know, 8-ish in the morning. So the roads were drivable, not good, but drivable. And you get to school, okay, now you're in school. So what's the rush to go home? So we let the kids out a little early. We didn't make them stay for the second bus, just had one, one time the 4 o'clock bus. And by the next morning, it's not really snowing anymore. So, But the kids come to school, and I love it. It's, uh, coats and snow pants and boots and gloves and hats and sleds. And we have a little hill, nothing major. It's, if it's 4 feet high, it's tall, 5 feet tall. And the boys go sledding down and up and down and snowmen, no snowballs, no snowball fights. It's, it's school. Have to be a little careful. Today again we went out, uh, the boys went sledding or just trampled through the snow. Really, it's uh, if you don't mind the cold weather 
and you enjoy snow and you're not driving through it, it's fantastic. So it really worked out great. Got the all the leaves raked on Sunday, come Monday, Tuesday, snow. And even even last night, it snowed again. Not a lot, not a lot, but enough to uh, add to the snow on my street because I, Baruch Shem, live in a wonderful neighborhood that they figure we don't really need to plow our streets. Like, what's the big deal? You can learn how to drive. So our streets don't really get plowed. Um, so, But if you are a politician in my neighborhood, it would be nice if you would clean up the streets once in a while. Even a little salt to make it not so slippery would be quite wonderful. Lots of good stuff to talk about today. We're going to have a repeat guest, um, Israela Meyerstein. Last time we talked about Israel. Today we're going to talk about her book, Bridge to Healing, Finding Strength to Cope with Illness. A great book. We're going to talk about it, why she wrote it. Uh, what she's trying to accomplish in the book, why you should read the book. We'll talk about that after the first segment. We got to talk Abraham. We got to talk about Abraham's kindness. We got to talk about his concern for others. Um, we'll talk about Sodom and Amorah or Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we got to talk about the binding of Isaac. Lots of things to get through, and we will do our very best to get through everything on our list. But you know that's not happening. Anyways. Let's start at the very beginning of this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Vayera, and we see Avram is, uh, is, has a, a, a guest, a visitor. It's God. God has come to visit Abraham because Abraham is recuperating from his circumcision, which he got in last week's Torah portion. And God does not want Abraham to run around for guests. That's what Abraham does. He runs around. He takes care of guests. He wants guests. He doesn't know what to do. If he doesn't have any guests, so God brings out a really hot day. It's in the desert. It's so hot. No one is traveling today in the desert. But Abraham feels bad. So God says, fine, he really wants guests. He should be resting. He should be healing. He wants guests. So God sends the three angels. These three angels, though, do not look like angels. They look like like, I'm going to say Arabs, for lack of a better term, like nomads, like just the desert travelers. The verse seems to call them uh, Arabs, whatever they dress like. It's your Middle Eastern desert traveler. So these three Middle Eastern desert travelers that don't look to be quite wealthy, they're not traveling with some big caravan with fancy camels, just walking. So you figure they're nobody really important. Abraham sees them, he immediately leaves God in his tent and runs to these three people, and the the middle one seems to be the man in charge. So he says, please stay, let me give you a little bread and water, you'll stay by me a little bit, and then you'll continue on your travels. So interesting, all Abraham is offering is a little bread and water. Um, we call that a person who says little, and he does a lot, because a few verses later, we see that Abraham serves a banquet. Meat. Okay, it doesn't sound like a very kosher meal. Meat, butter, milk. The commentaries say it was tongue and mustard. But again, tongue and mustard is good. And bread. Uh, but the butter and the milk doesn't sound so kosher. Some say it was before the Torah was given. Um, only uh, Abraham might keep the Torah. He doesn't have to make his travelers keep the Torah. In any case, he brings in these three guests, he offers them little, he gives them a lot, they come, they do not argue at all with Abraham, they immediately come, 
And um, we'll talk about, we're going to sort of just finish this part of the story, and then we're going to backtrack a little bit. Um, and the these three angels, angels just don't go walking around. They actually have a mission. And what's interesting is that each angel has his own mission. God doesn't give one angel three missions. He gives each angel one mission. Now, it's interesting. There's a, a, a rabbi here in town. He's no longer alive. Um, he himself would say, and there's a story behind it. We won't get into that today. Um, he would say all the time, really, people also only have one mission in this world. We just don't realize we have one mission. We think we have a hundred missions, a thousand missions. But uh, angels know they have one mission. So one had the mission to heal Abraham. One had the mission to inform Sarah that she would be having a baby. And the third, his mission was to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was their jobs. But they're on their way, come to Abraham's tent. Um, he takes care of them. And then the one who has to inform Sarah gives the message to Abraham. And Sarah's listening in the background and says, okay, next time I come by, this was what seemed to be taking place around the Sukkot holiday and... Well, again, it's debatable. Some say the Sukkot holiday. Some say it was actually the Passover holiday. But Isaac's going to be born either six or seven months later, Passover time, or it'll be a year later, he'll be born Passover time. In either case, Sarah hears the message, and she laughs to herself. Why? Because, you know, it's a very friendly of traveling people to say, oh, I hope you have children. It, you know, it would be beautiful. That's how Sarah looks at it. So she chuckles to herself. Abraham knows or God tells Abraham that Sarah is laughing. Abraham goes to her and says, come on, what are you laughing for? So he says, no, nah, come on, you know, like, what's the big deal? No, you can't laugh. It's a blessing. How could you laugh? Okay, I didn't really laugh. And Abraham said, you did laugh. In any case, end of story, the angels will now start making their way down to Sodom. And uh, Abraham will see momentarily he's going to pray to save the city before it gets destroyed. Um, but let's backtrack. So Abraham takes care of these three people. This seems to be the only story in the Torah where we actually get nitty-gritty into how Abraham took care of guests. He was known. Abraham is known for his kindness. And the only story we have of Abraham's kindness is how Abraham takes care of three regular traveling people. They're not special they're not famous, just three traveling people, and Abraham takes care of them. What's interesting is that these, it'll now only be two angels, because the one who came to inform Sarah, he can disappear because his job is over. The other angel who healed Abraham will also save Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his daughters. So they're on their way down to Sodom. So um, when they reach Sodom... So Lot, it, there the verse doesn't call them men or people. There the verse actually refers to them as angels. So it would seem that Lot understood or saw that these are not regular people. These are special, whether he realized they're angels, whatever he realized. The verse itself describes them as being angels. So Lot is begging and pleading they should come to his house. Which really means that Again, Lot is in a city of Sodom, which we would like to talk about, which is anti-kindness. They don't believe in kindness. They don't want to know about kindness. 
But um, but Lot is willing to be kind because he sees their angels. They're special. They're important. So we, we're like juxtaposing two different types of ways of doing kindness. I can do kindness because I want to be kind to everybody. I think being kind is important. Or I'm only kind if either you have something I need. So it's I'm going to get paid back or you're an important person so I can... I can uh, praise myself that I went and helped this important person. So that's the, a difference in the kindness between a, an Abraham and Lot. Now let's take it one step further. The city of Sodom itself um, was known as a wicked city. God's about to destroy the city. There's no kindness in that city. So I saw this morning something really very beautiful and, and eye-opening. There's a Mishnah in what's called Pirkei Avos. And the Mishnah says there's three or four types of people. There's the person who says, what's, uh, what's mine is yours, what's yours is yours, right? That's the righteous kind of person. I have nothing, anything you need you could take, and I don't want anything from you. That's like the righteous guy, right? What's mine is yours, what's yours is yours, he's great. You have the wicked guy who says, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is also mine. Words, I deserve everything. I want everything. Everything belongs to me. Give me everything. That's the wicked guy. Then the Mishnah seems to say there's the in-between. The in-between guy is the guy who says, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. I got my stuff, you get your stuff. So the Mishnah seems to consider the person in-between. The problem is elsewhere the rabbis say, when they're talking about Sodom, that that's what the city of Sodom was. They believed what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. So the question is, why does the Mishnah consider that in between, while while this this uh, the, the the rabbis say this is called Sodom, which means it's wicked. So the first answer is that when we say in the middle, in the middle is not always exactly in the middle. I gave an example in my class today. You have you have six rows in the classroom. So you have the outside row and the inside row, and I have four rows in between. Well, what if I pick the row, the second row, and I say that the second row is in between the first and the sixth row? I'm correct that the second row is in between the first and the sixth row, but it's not in the middle. So when the Mishnah says, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, you're in the middle, you're not in the middle, you're just in between the two extremes, but you're not good. That was one answer I saw, but the next answer is really more fascinating and I think more important. And that's like this. Um, as an individual, if I don't want to share, if I don't want to help anybody out, look, I'm not a great guy, but it doesn't make me wicked. Right? If I take your stuff, I'm wicked. But if I just don't want to share, I have my house and I have my car and I have my money and I don't want to give charity and I live at home and I'm a and I'm an honest citizen. Okay, so you're an okay guy, right? No one's gonna gonna applaud you for your life. No one's gonna honor you for you being selfish. But you're not a wicked person. But what if the culture, what if the law of the land, what if the law of the city was, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. Every man's for himself. We don't take care of anybody. There's poor people starving. We're very sorry to hear that. They should take care of themselves. I keep my hard-earned money. Let them fend for themselves. So if a city, if a state, if a country were to act in such a way that we don't care 
about anybody else. Everybody has to take care of themselves. You earn your money, you keep it. You do not have to give it away. You do not have to give charity. If the if the city, again, city, state, area, does not have to help people that are suffering, that is what was wrong with Sodom. Sodom's laws were that as a that our culture, our laws, our constitution were such that I don't have to help you. If you can't help yourself, okay, so if you drop dead, you drop dead. I, I can't help you. I'm not going to give you food stamps. I'm not going to set up Medicaid. I'm not going to set up hospitals for you. I, as a community, as a city, I don't have to help you. You're on your own. That kind of thought process is horrible, is rotten, and that's why God said the city of Sodom has to be destroyed. And it was on an individual basis, you're in between. You're not great, you're not wicked. But if the whole city, if everybody in the country, if this is the laws that a country is set up on, or a state, or a city like Sodom, and again, there were five cities there, if that's how they're set up, then that city has to be destroyed. Even though Abraham will pray that if there's righteous people, so save the cities, Abraham understood that this is rotten. You cannot have a, um, a, a city or cities that do no charity, that don't take care of anybody. Abraham understood you can't have that. That was clear to Abraham. But there's always a chance to become better. Abraham felt that if I have enough time, I can explain to all these people how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to act, and maybe I can fix them. God said there's no help for Sodom and Gomorrah. They had to be destroyed. Here comes my music. So we're obviously up to the first break. When we come back, we will be joined by Israel Amayestine. And we're going to talk about her book, Bridge to Healing. So hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we're going to be right back. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of the drop-in with Daryl Valley. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. Then you get off your couch and you make life happen. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? 
and we're back. And for a second round, I I must have been very kind and nice the first time around. So Israela, the person with my favorite name, Israela Meyerstein, is back with us, and we're going to talk about her book, Bridge to Healing: Finding Strength to Cope with Illness. Israela, how are you today? I'm good. It's nice to hear from you. Yes. How is the weather in I think Baltimore? Right. It's cold. How about the snow? No snow. No <laughs> snow. You should come visit us here in Detroit. Oh, okay. We you had, have snow? I don't know, eight or nine inches we got on Monday. Oh, no, really? Yeah, unbelievable. Wow. For November. Wow. But I'm sure the ski resorts up north, which suffered last year, hopefully will be doing better this year. So hopefully, hopefully. everybody will be happy. So, Israel, today we're discussing a whole different book. You know, it's so interesting. Um, I read the last book we talked about was all the essays on Israel, and you sent me this book, Bridge to Healing, and I just, you know, it was just in the pile. And then I read the book, and you know what? I should have done this book first. <laughs> well, it did come first. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know about it. And I was, you know, right. I looked at it. It's a nice picture. There's a bridge, and there's flowers and trees, and you know, it sounds okay. And um, but then I read it, and um, and it's really a great book. And we're going to talk about it. It's a type of self-help uh, book. We're going to talk about why it's important. But first things first, um, why did you write the book? Well, I w- wrote the book uh, as a result of my own experience with illness back in 2006. Um, and uh, all that I experienced. And I found myself kind of keeping track of some of my feelings and impressions going through not only the illness, but also the complicated medical system. And sometimes I wrote journal just to cope as a coping tool. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know, I can't be unique. Um, A lot of people, there are so many people who deal with illness. And I bet they go through some of the similar things that I've gone through. And when I found some answers for myself and ways to cope, I thought, well, I should try to share that, and hopefully it could help other patients, which I feel it has. Good, and I think it will. I mean, hopefully people have the book already. If they don't have it, Bridge to Healing, um, and they're in these types of situations, they definitely should pick up the book. Um, I remember reading the book. You really had two situations. and I was there was... There was um, your family, I think it was your father, when he was sick, how you dealt with things, and then you dealt with your own personal illness. Do, do I have that part right? I think my, my mother probably. Your mother. She had um, pancreatic cancer at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, unfortunately, you didn't have the book to start with, but right. um, you, you sort of found out the, the hard way mm-hmm. um, about, I guess, the, the journey with doctors and hospitals. So if you could just share with us, you know, so people understand there is a journey, and whether it's they're dealing with family members or themselves, some of the things they need to prepare themselves to actually work through the system properly. If you could just uh, touch on that a little bit. Just a small question. <laughs> yeah, just a small one. So, so for one thing, when unexpected illness hits, it's hard for everyone. I don't know anybody who said, oh, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> um, and it, one of the reasons is it's unexpected at times. Um, another is that it kind of knocks you off your life path, like a, det- a huge detour. And um, 
No people are usually trained for dealing with the illness beforehand if they've been healthy, um, nor are they trained at all for walking through the um, complicated, um, advanced, but um, very challenging medical system. Um, Patients have a lot of on-the-job training to do, and it can be overwhelming. I think um, a Yiddish quote that I came across early on really resonated with me, um, and it goes something like this, a small hole in the body produces a greater hole in the soul. Because while it's very true there are a lot of medically related challenges, like um, taking many tests, anxiously waiting for results, um, hearing difficult news, finding a doctor, deciding uh, treatments, uh, there's a lot that patients have to grapple with. But um, there's also the emotional part um, of being in this situation that you may not have experience dealing with. And so when it happened to me, I found that I really needed to develop some kind of perspective and some kind of path to cope better because um, allowing the, the, all the painful, negative, worried, terrified feelings to take over is not great for your health either. So, in your book, so which part do you feel that you are looking to help people more with? Just how to deal with the health system or really how to deal with their own emotions that are, that are just, I guess, ravaging them? Well, we don't have that much control over the health system and how it works. Some, for some people, it works really great, and for other people, it's challenging. I, I would say for most people, there's some aspect of being sick in a large system that's challenging. So my book is really written for the person uh, because we have faced a lot of emotions going through illness, and I wanted to equip patients and their caregivers and family members with some, um, I would say, literally concrete tools and a perspective for how to not... Um, sink <laughs> and how to stay afloat. Um, the image that I used on the book cover of a bridge came from, um, well, I guess a couple sources. One is we all know the song Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Okay. And um, I often thought of that music, and uh, that really reminds us that sometimes we're on just a little frail bridge that's over a, a kind of troubled, boiling sea. Um, and the other per- thing that I re- re- remembered and connected with was Reb Nachman saying that we all walk in life on a narrow bridge, and the challenge is not to be afraid. So when one gets ill, it's probably impossible not to be afraid, but if one stays in a state of fear, then it really becomes paralyzing. So I, that image of Reb Nachman's bridge was how I also turned to spirituality as a way of improving how I could cope. Ah, the spirit. <laughs> I have so many questions that I have to get through, but I see you want to focus on the spirituality side, which I think is going to be a good place to focus because I think that may help people more. The doctors, how they choose, what to do, when they're faced with questions, who should help them, that maybe we'll get to later. But let, let's let's go to the spirituality side. When you say spirituality... Do you mean religious spirituality or spirituality in general? What do you really mean, or what would you like to mean? 
I would say spirituality is the broad umbrella, and it can be accessed through various religions is one aspect, but spirituality is also more about um, how we are, how we exist in the world. Um, it has to do with our insides, emotional insides, and our ability to, to uh, reflect um, on our situation. So I, I see spirituality very broadly, um, and it also, if we think about it, it's a very important tool in dealing with illness. Uh, there are many spiritual tools. Just one example is meditation. Um, that can be useful in, in a physical way as well. But I think of spirituality as getting more in touch with one's own inner spirit because I think that that's very important during illness is to uh, respect and honor one's inside emotions, one's inside spirit. If one has also a religious uh, conviction that uh, attached to a particular spiritual approach, so for me it was Judaism, of course, um, that really aided me tremendously because not only was there a perspective that our bodies and minds are integrated, but there's a whole treasure chest of coping tools that I collected that helped me. So you know, the spirituality is 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 more of a coping tool. It's going to help me in my healing process. Is it both? Um, I I think this, there are spiritual resources that are coping tools, as meditation, uh, journaling, uh, poetry, reading inspirational prayers, uh, listening to psalms. There are many specific tools, but I think of spirituality also as getting in touch with your neshama and expressing your, your true sense of yourself and um, being able to honor the insides more. I think that's a part of a kind of growth that I went through whether it was understanding that I have a soul inside that is um, a nishama that, that is holy because God plants it in us, and, and thinking about that and reflecting on what that says about me, um, as opposed to just thinking of me as a physical being. So, so why, why do you think that helps? In a broader sense, as well as very concrete tools that I developed. Right, so, but why, again, so I have my physical body, I have, we'll, we'll use your words because I like them, I have my soul, um, and they're obviously connected and intertwined, but, but my body is what's ill. Is my soul ill, or is my, you know, is, why is it important that I should worry about my spirituality when, I don't know, I don't want to say when my tooth hurts, but when somebody's ill, why is that important? Well, I don't think that everybody goes in that direction. Some people approach illness in a purely biomedical way. You know, I got this ache, this problem, this surgery, take care of it physically and it's over. But I think many people and more and more people are more willing to, are more open to uh, the emotional aspect of the illness. We know more about it. And um, illness just creates all kinds of um, feelings, emotions. It, it raises spiritual questions, whether we like it or not. You know, how do we deal with the illness? Do we blame ourselves? Do we blame others? Um, do we feel closer to God? Do we feel more estranged from God? How do we interpret our illness? Is it a punishment, which I don't think it is at all? Is it, but we all have these views that come up. It's, it, we, we have them even though we may not think of ourselves as spiritual. 
Israela, I'm gonna. I would like to focus more on the spirituality, but I am up against my break. So if you can hold through the break, we're right. gonna be right back. I'm talking to Israela Meyerstein, author of Bridge to Healing. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we're gonna be right back. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know, Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into straight. a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that, can't, that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. And we're back, and we're still joined by Israela Meyerstein, author of Bridge to Healing. Israela, are you still with us? I'm still with you. Okay, good. So, you know, the the more I, I hear you talk, I, I think you're attacking depression. I, I mean, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but when we talk about the emotional side of what people go through um, when there's illness— um, there's, whether it's self-pity or anything else, but this it leads to depression, which certainly can't be something healthy for a person who is ill or family members trying to take care of that patient. Am I, am I getting that right? Well, I think it, it would be actually almost normal to feel somewhat depressed at some point. It's also normal to feel anxious and a whole host of, of challenging emotions because we're human beings and we feel them. So yeah, illness can cause that kind of um, state of mind or th- or state of spirit, and so my book is aimed really at uh, giving people um, tools to lift their spirits to keep stay afloat. So let's talk about because there's there's so many of these tools. I wrote down about five of them, but. Um, I'll say some of the ideas that I wrote down, and then you'll tell me how that's going to help my state of mind, my through spirituality. Um, let's start with the fun ones first. Humor. 
Okay. Well, there's documented evidence that humor lifts spirit. There is actually scientific Im- uh, evidence that uh, heavy belly laughter actually uh, affects the body in a positive way. So humor uh, distracts us in some ways from our feelings very heavy and serious. So it's a great spiritual coping tool in my view. So is that any kind of joke? It's reading jokes, telling jokes? So when someone goes to visit someone who's not well, just tell them jokes. Well, no, it depends on the person. I think when you make a a visit to the sick, Bikur Cholim, which is also a a beautiful tool in our tradition, you need to pace yourself according to the patient. Um, If the patient is morose and and sad and, and looking kind of really depressed, you're not going to tell them jokes, probably, unless you know them really, really well, and they want you to be their joke teller. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, but maybe that's what the person needs, but obviously it's, it's, you've got to well, be sensitive. for some people that might be helpful, but for others it might be just the opposite of, they may have the feeling like this person's coming in to like marry, make merry, and I'm down in the dumps, and I'm not interested in what they're trying to do to lift my spirits. I need somebody to come in and say, Oi, it, you know, this is really hard, isn't it? So everybody's a unique individual, and part of what happens when you're ill is you have to really figure out what's going to be important for you, and to be able to say that to people. Like, if they ask, what can I help with, you know, can I help with meals? Well, yeah, that would be great that somebody did that for me, and it was wonderful. A a group of people got together in a little community, and they provided Shabbat meals for me on the Fridays when I had chemo. So... Every person is an individual, and when we try to help someone who's sick, we need to really keep that in mind. Okay, how about music? Music is another thing that I think always we uh, people love music. Um, people have different preferences in music, you know, different tastes in music, but music does something for our insides. It can calm us. It can ennoble us. It can lift our spirits. Uh, whether we're making the music or singing or listening to soothing music, I think music is a terrific tool. Of course you do. It's in the book. <laughs> it must be terrific. Okay. Well, I listened. I, I got myself some CDs with soothing music, and I would listen to um, some of um, Debbie Friedman's music. She would take English. She would take uh, traditional prayers in the tra- English translation, and she would set them to beautiful melodies and. I actually created a morning service for myself that I would listen to when I walked in the morning, and I would um, listen to beautiful tunes, and I actually do that till today. (laughs) Wow, amazing. Okay, how about poetry? Uh, Poetry is another way that our inner spirit and soul can be expressed. I think you probably remember reading in the book that my father became a poet, and I literally, while he had a um, physical disease, he struggled with cardiac illness probably the last 20 years of his life, and it got worse over time. But because of his poetry, which he turned to, he's very creative, he actually did his own sort of therapeutic healing. He processed his childhood, his loss of home and country and Holocaust losses, and I literally watched him become younger in spirit, even though he, his body was decaying. So, so yeah, poetry is amazing, too, for people who are 
attracted to it. So it's reading, so reading it or writing it. Right. So that's what I'm asking. Is it is it reading poetry or it's really you, it's 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 a way to bring out your own inner feelings or at least become in touch with your with your with your inner self? Is that in which way it is? I don't want to say better or worse or both are good. What you know, each individual. I, I think they. I'd like to think that I made up a spiritual treatment plan for myself. And if it was something that I enjoyed receiving, then I would, and it meant it meant something to me, it, it lifted my spirit, then I would go for that. And if it was something active that I did, like art, that made me feel better and make, giving the art to somebody made me feel even better because I brought joy to somebody else as well. Every, each person would, I think the book will help because it kind of treats each person, the reader, as an individual and helps them search through the book for resources and a perspective on how to deal with illness. Right. That was the, the idea. That's what we're doing now. In other words, humor works for this one and music works for the next one and poetry for third, or maybe all of them work for somebody. But it, it's it's like, a, you know, it's like going to a grocery store. I don't have to use every idea in the book. I could, but I don't have to. But there's enough things to choose from that somebody can get in tune with and say, this works for me. Right, exactly, and that's the one that's going to work, the one that works for the individual. Cool, I have that's two... That's the correct one, the one that works for that particular individual, and one of the reasons that comes where that comes from, it's one of the best things that the, the doctor I chose said to me in the beginning. He said, you have an aggressive illness here, but just remember, you are not a diagnosis, and you are not a statistic you are an individual and how you deal with this and your situation and what what our road together will be that'll determine what happens what i can give to you to help heal you and what you can do because you're an individual that's going to be the answer you're not a statistic and that do you know what that does to a patient who suddenly feels they have this heavy mantle of numbers and and science and things they don't understand and they read they shouldn't read on the internet always they (laughs) read stuff but when a doctor says to his patient i care about you i'm going to do the best i can for you and you are an individual everybody has a chance because everybody's different and it's true everybody reacts to treatment differently everybody has a different amount of um, psychological resources spiritual resources um People make different decisions when they're ill. Some people stop working or lower their work level if they can so they can pay attention more to resting. There are all kinds of ways that a person can construct their journey. At first, you feel like you're kind of kidnapped by this illness, and you feel very overwhelmed. But once you realize it's going to be a journey that, uh, like in the wilderness, like B'nai Yisrael went through, then you have to figure out what am I going to turn to to help me cope with this journey. Amazing. I mean, you, 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 I mean, you, it's all there. You're all. I mean, obviously you've been through it. Other people may have been through it through family members, but you're, you're just putting it together in a in a in just we we call it almost like a set table. And as I have a table here in front of you with all the food you want to eat and all the cutlery you need, and you take what's important for you. And, of course, most important, which we hope the doctors tell their patients, is is you're a person. And that, yes, I think, absolutely. comes out so clear. So I know yeah. my time is getting towards the end, so I'm going to move along. Um, 
What is your journey of life exercise? Well, that's something that people can do with a, a piece of blank paper and um, a pencil or something. And it's in the back of the book to show people how to do it. And basically it shows, it's a little bit of a graphic that shows a person on a, I just turned to that page, page 148. <laughs> um, you know, person's on their journey of life and all of a sudden there's this huge detour. It could be illness trauma, loss, it's not, this is not just physical illness, it could be some kind of crisis that knocks the person off the road, and then they fall into this vast wilderness. So the metaphor is actually going through a wilderness. Sometimes there are troubled waters there, sometimes there's even the valley of the shadow of death. And while they're in the wilderness, what will help them get to, you could say, to healing, pathway to healing, or to the promised land, are the spiritual coping tools that I share in the book, different things that will appeal to different people that will help them keep their spirits up and strengthen them to deal with what has to be done in terms of the treatments and the illness experience, to lift their spirits, to strengthen them internally. And um, do you want me to talk about the MAPS perspective a little bit? Um, if you could do it quick, only because we're getting, we have about two and a half minutes left. So okay. if you could do it quick, so what I, tried I would like to, to hear do it. After I thought about what what I felt was needed is create a little bit of a formula called MAPS. Uh, M stands for meaning, um, and that would be kind of making sense out of what just happened and how you could, what you can learn from the illness. Um, a represents agency, which is very, very key, is to check in with your inner spirit and become your advocate. I'm not a complaining person, but I learned to speak up when something didn't seem right, and it was very important. So it's, I say, don't be too patient a patient. Good. Um, P stands for practical coping tools, and that's where you get the whole list or you sort of like the menu of all the possible ideas of coping tools. And whenever I give talks about it, people add extra ones, ones that they, they like. Good. I mean, that's the whole point. And then the last one are the spiritual connections, because it takes a village to deal with illness, so that's where a spiritual community comes in that's important. And then there's, in Judaism, an amazing number of traditions and prayers that can help us on our illness route. Um, we know that Bikur Cholim, when you visit someone who's sick, takes away, is, is known to take away one-sixtieth of the illness. And um, support from friends is important. Um, I would say that the biggest feeling or state that I developed during my illness experience was gratitude. And that I have taken with me. I had a lot of that before, but that really was the strongest emotion that I learned to cultivate. And I think that still is the strongest one today. Amazing. Israela, I can't thank you enough. Um, hopefully people have learned a lot or at least gotten a, enough insight to know to pick up your book. It's called Bridge to Healing, Finding Strength to Cope with Illness from Israel Meyerstein. Israel, can you just tell us how to get the book? Uh, it's on Amazon, uh, so that would be the first stop. <laughs> um, Easiest. And it's barnesandnoble.com and uh, through the publisher's uh, bookseller, but Amazon is probably the first go-to place. Cool. Israela, again... It's also, by the way, been yeah. translated into Hebrew. 
I mean, excellent. It should be. Hebrew is their first language. We got to get 40, 50 languages on this book. We're working on it. Israela, <laughs> well, thank you, you so much. Well, you we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Israela, thank you so much. Have a great Shabbos. I appreciate you coming back for a second time. Um, be well, and I hope people pick up the book Bridge to Healing by Israela Meyerstein. Be well. Thanks so much, Zvi. Shabbat shalom to you as well. Have a good Shabbos. Okay, we got to get ready for our next break. By the way, Bicker Cholim visiting the sick, which is really the beginning of this week's Torah portion, where God comes to visit Abraham. That's our first uh, um, connection to visiting the sick. In any case, I'm up against my break. You're listening to Rabbi Tsui on Let's Talk Torah, and we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. Then you get off your couch and you make life happen. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? We see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. Umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> get umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. And we're back. And after talking to Israel about her book, and she brought up the concept of Bikr Cholim visiting the sick, which we'll touch on for a minute. That should have been my word of the week. Okay, I wasn't ready for that one. We'll do that in a second. But um, Bikr Cholim is visiting the sick. One of the acts of kindness that a person needs to do is when people are sick, people in the hospital, um, you visit you take care of them. Again, you have to be sensitive. You have to know how long to be there. Family members are there if you're in the way. Um, sometimes, sometimes the right kind of kindness is to go to the hospital, see the family is busy, and not go in and visit the person. Even if you traveled and you took time off work and it's, it's your time and you must visit this person. But sometimes the right thing to do is not to go in. But sometimes the right thing to do is to, yeah, go in, to go in, to visit, to talk, to be there, to show support, whatever it takes. And that is one of the kindnesses that's actually brought up, brought up in the beginning of this week's story portion. So, um, but before we move along, of course, we're up to our letter of the week. We're up to the second letter in the Olive Bays. We are up to the letter Bays or Bet. 
that numerical value is 2, which right behind me, it could be an inverted C with a little uh, leg sticking out of the back. Um, it can make a B sound. It can also make a V sound, depending if there's a dot there in the letter or not. Um, the word I should have thought of this week was Bikur. Bikur means to visit, like in Bikur Chaylim, visiting the sick. However, I did not realize that Israela would bring up Bikur Chaylim. So instead, I had the word Bone. Bone means to build. And I, the reason I thought it was a, a, a good word this week, first of all, Abraham is building the nation, Isaac is born this week, which we'll talk about in a few minutes if I have time. Um, and Israel's book is really helping a person build themselves up. We we talked about that one of the things that happens, people get uh, depressed. There's there's a lot to deal with when a person is sick. There's a lot of coping that goes on. And, and the idea of Israel's book is to just give a person the tools to build themselves up. Because as much as Israel did not want to really touch on it, but there is no question that a person that um, that is willing to fight um, to live has a better chance. If somebody wants to be depressed and give up, then those people do not last long. It's unfortunately the way life goes. I guess that's a good plan of words with life. But but people that go ahead and and are willing to fight um, have a better chance at living. But you need you need coping skills, and a lot of them are through spirituality and through prayer, and all the long list that Israel writes about in her book. So time is ticking, and I actually have two different stories. I'm not sure if I'll get to both, um, but one came up this week. A, um, I would not call him a colleague. I would really call him a teacher um, of mine. His name was Rabbi Hill Mandel. Um, suddenly passed away this week. He was in a gym, and he was exercising, and he had a heart attack, and he passed away which is one of the reasons why I don't go to the um, gym because it's very dangerous to go to a gym because people have heart attacks there. So that's one of my excuses, or at least it's one of my new excuses. Uh, but in any case, <coughs> he was really a friend. He, um, he taught me. He had classes in Israel training new teachers. He also um, he was a principal in numerous schools. I actually remembered him from Queens. Most recently, he was a principal in Chicago. And um, when I took his course, I was, I think, 20. So even though I was a little bit young, and usually teachers, he wanted people in the 26, 27, 28-year-old range that were really getting ready to go into teaching, I wasn't even married. Um, I didn't get married for another, another two years, two and a half years after his course. But I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I was very good at teaching children. I wanted the tools, even though it would be a little early. Um, and he allowed me to take the course, which was really kind of him. And what happened was the course was in one, one area in Jerusalem. And it was about a 25-minute bus ride from the where we took the classes to back to where my school was. There was actually a bus stop right in front of my school out in Givachol. If people know neighborhoods, um, the courses were actually in Sanhedrin Mechavet. I have no idea what the bus number was. In my head, I think it was the 7, but I actually have no idea. Certainly, I don't remember. That was, oh, I don't know, 32, 33 years ago I took that course. Um, now, every day, um, class over, let's say 4 o'clock, it was a, pretty much a, an intensive course during the summer. It was it was four or five weeks of a couple hours a day, and then in the summer it was it was it was like um, I don't know eight nine hours a day, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon. Very intense for about three weeks. 
So everybody finishes the, finishes the classes. You quickly go out to get on the bus. You go home. I would like to write my notes. I, I got to refocus on the day's notes, and I wrote them down. And I discovered that this Rabbi Mendel um, pretty much would not leave right away after class. Probably between a half an hour and 45 minutes after class, he would go ahead and, uh, and get on the bus. Well, wouldn't you know that every day I happened to need to, uh, or it happened to work out, that I was on the same bus. He had to go a little further than me, the same bus, same time every day. Can you imagine such a thing? And, of course, I was doing it on purpose because now I got free 25 minutes to speak with this Rabbi Mendel about what I learned that day or any questions I had. And I wrote notes about all the things that, that he was teaching that day or he had people come in and teach. So it was really... Um, you know, prime time, I got 25 minutes of personal time with Israel Mandel because I knew it was important. And I said, hey, if I have an opportunity to go ahead and hang out with the, with somebody who can teach me what I want to know, I have to be a fool. So, so I have to stay an extra half an hour, 45 minutes, some days an hour later so that I can be on the bus with him. But isn't that like a, a great idea? Like any time, anything that's important to you, sometimes you want to be with a certain person, you need to speak to a certain person, it takes time. It's going to cost you your time. You're going to have to use your intelligence a little bit and figure out, how can I hang out with this person that I need to hang out with? So you got to be creative. you got to do stuff. No one says you have to tell the person. If you tell the person, then you might be done. Because the truth is, it was years later, he actually sat in on my class, and I got to call him, and he gave comments, and, and uh, we're done. Anyways, he was a wonderful person. I feel terrible he passed away, but I personally benefited amazingly from his knowledge. Anyways, here we're up against it. Thank you again to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have Kelsey, Angel, Zach, Cole. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.